Even more important than civility is civil discourse, the opportunity to have hard debates in a way where we can hear each other. Hello, and welcome to the Nashville Sounding Board, the podcast dedicated to discussing social and political issues in the Nashville community. I'm your host, Benjamin Eagles. My guest today is David Plasses. He's the Opinion and Engagement Director at the Tennessean and also serves on the Tennessean Editorial Board. David moved to Nashville in 2014. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Benjamin, thank you so much for having me here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Wanted to talk with you today uh, specifically about the Civility Tennessee campaign that you are directing and started in January of last year to kind of mark the one-year mark of the Civility campaign, ask you how things are going there. Uh, First, before we get started, wanted to see if you have a book recommendation for us. A lot of people have New Year's resolutions. Uh, one of mine was to read two books a month in 2019. Sure. The book I'm reading right now is Them by Senator Ben Sass, and I'm reading it actually with a bipartisan group of folks just to discuss it. How do we look at the issue of loneliness, America, the things that divide us? And I also am going to be reading with a friend of mine who lives in New York. Uh, we're, we're doing kind of a, a co-reading of Becoming by Michelle Obama next month, and so I'm looking forward to reading that. I have a Michelle Obama reference later when it comes to civility, of course, the the famous line. Uh, how are things going with the civility campaign? What did the first year bring? I saw that you're continuing it in year two. You've had a lot of events. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the campaign? Sure. And I'll be honest, when we started it, we weren't sure if it would succeed. You know, we weren't sure if people actually wanted to be civil. And, and true <laughs> enough, there are a lot of people who still don't want to be civil. But um, I thought it was an opportunity, along with my fellow editorial board members, Michael Anastasi and um, um, Maria Deverine, to start that conversation. What does civility mean? What should it mean? And too often people uh, think that civility is all about being nice, about avoiding issues, uh, really about uh, uh, being uh, cowering to authority. And, and, and I think it's the exact opposite. Civility's origins are from Latin, civitas, uh, uh, which has to do with citizenship and the role of the, of the good citizen. And the good citizen speaks up. The good citizen confronts issues very directly. And the good citizen is also respectful to other citizens. And so ultimately, that's what we wanted to do. I'm very pleased with that year. I wasn't sure how it would go, but we did a series of events every single month, ranging from physical events to virtual events like Facebook Live. And mm-hmm. there were times that I thought, you know, am I trying to blow this thing up? Because I said, let's take on racism. Let's take on sexual assault. Let's take on gun violence. And we would bring in experts who have a lot of experience talking about talking about these things and have them help us understand it. And what we found is throughout the year is that what I think we contributed to the conversation was the idea of framing. How do you frame an issue? Because there are too many people who are afraid to talk about these issues, be it Me Too or racism. And there were times we'd also have physical events uh, in line with, in league with uh, universities like Lipscomb, Vanderbilt, uh, and Belmont. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Lipscomb University event on voter turnout brought in about 500 people who wanted to understand why is it that Tennessee is so bad at voting when it comes Last, to voter right? turnout. Well, we're, we're up to 49th. And actually, with oh. this election, I think we're going to be a little bit above that. But we're still going to be in the 40s. But uh, but it's, it's an issue that continues to be a problem. People aren't showing up to the polls. And they're not making their voices known. And so that's a key part of civility. So part of that, the civility Tennessee, was to basically say, what is it? It's about being a good citizen. Part of that is participating in the process, voting, uh, registering, 
Right. Then, Those and, were two yeah. of your four goals, I think, for Ex- this Philadelphia exactly. campaign, engaging not only in conversations, but in elections. That's right. That's right. absolutely right. Thanks so much for uh, for, for reading our stuff. Uh, you, you know, it was, it was uh, fun to sometimes spar with some folks who, you know, had a very different view of civility because mm-hmm. it became especially heated at around the time that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was kicked out of a restaurant uh, back last summer. And the question was, you know, we can't be civil in the Trump era. You know, it's impossible and you have to resist and these kinds of things. And I think the reality is the way that our government is, you know, we we have to take back ownership of our own citizenship. You know, we know and even Republicans like former Senator Bob Corker have said that uh, President Trump governs through chaos and through division. And our institutions have been working even though sometimes we feel they're failing us. But the reality is the courts have been working uh, Congress, to the degree that it can, whether better or worse, has also been a check on power, even more so now uh, in 2019. And, and that's a good thing. I think there has been a lot of confusion around the word civility. Um, and we can talk about the Trump era and what he's meant for it in a moment. But just sort of definitionally, definition of civility that I found was formal politeness and courtesy in behavior or speech. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound a lot like what you're talking about. It, it at least doesn't fully encompass what you're talking about. No, and, and that's a great point. Uh, part of the reason we chose civility was because it's a word that tends to resonate with people who are in these crazy times, you know, and people who are trying to seek some kind of sense of getting out of their echo chambers. And not everybody likes that word. And, you know, we wouldn't need civility, I think, if people didn't want to be uncivil. Um, right. And, and there's a famous uh, portrait of Chandra, uh, Senator Charles Sumner in the 1850s getting beat nearly to death in the Senate chamber because he dared insult the uncle of a, of a representative. And he essentially called the uncle or, or some aspect of it, uh, you know, the whore of Babylon when it came to uh, issues of slavery. He was a, a staunch abolitionist. And so when you think about, you know, the kind of language that we use, it's important because you don't want to get to a point where you start insulting your opponents and you and the response is, I'm going to punch you in the teeth or I'm going to take a cane and cane you essentially nearly to death, which is what happened there. Um, so I understand that that definition sounds weak, but at the core of it is, how do we speak to each other? You know, how are we responding to each other? And And it's hard sometimes because language is so powerful. Language can be used to diminish somebody. It can be used uh, to also encourage somebody. The question is, you know, what do we want to mean? Our goal through Civility Tennessee is to avoid fakeness. You know, we've heard that, that expression, bless your heart. You know, I found out I'm not from the South, and so I found out the hard way that bless your heart is not a very nice thing to say to people. <laughs> and that's exactly the opposite of what, in my mind, what civility is. Uh, and and if even more important than civility is civil discourse, the opportunity to have hard debates in a way where we can hear each other. Too often people don't listen to each other. It's, it's my word or that's it. And I think the only the way that we succeed as a society is if we start to sometimes listen and maybe, you know, that dirty word of today, compromise. Sometimes we have to get to that point because there are so many disparate views. I found um, during 2018, I traveled the state quite a bit during the election from east to west. And I found that so many people, be it in rural areas or urban areas, had many of the same concerns and needs. They just understood them perhaps a little bit differently and they came through a different lens. You know, I might be in a place like McMinnville where the issue of faith was far more important in the conversations that people would have versus an urban center uh, like Memphis where you might be talking uh, much uh, with less uh, religiosity depending on where you were. Um, but still, the issues of health care, the issues of um, access to government, access to services, those were pretty much the same. Moving to President Trump, his behavior 
pretty clearly represents, if not a new low, pretty close. So one might see civility as an antidote to Donald Trump's behavior, uh, but that doesn't really seem to be how it's been perceived by the left mm-hmm. in the age of the resistance and you know resist Trump. We were talking before the podcast, and I said, Michelle Obama's they go low, we go high seems pretty quaint now, uh, given that just last week, uh, Congresswoman Tlaib said, impeach the mother. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of criticism of civility just as a concept, a goal in the age of Trump. But I'll keep my example local. Attorney Daniel Horowitz here in Nashville wrote on Twitter the other day, that he complains a lot about civility because it's an abstract value that is consistently leveraged to suppress criticism and dissent from marginalized people. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? Is is there any truth in norms for uh, decorum and and proper behavior having a negative impact on people who don't have political power? Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you're powerful, you can essentially direct the rules in so many ways. And I can tell you before we started the broadcast, we were talking about the event uh, that uh, I co-moderated with yes. Governor Bill Haslam that was in December, and Black Lives Matter had protested it during the Q&A period over the Centoya Brown uh, clemency request at the time uh, he hadn't granted her clemency yet. You know, the question was, were they being uncivil? You know, it depended what point of view you were at. You know, the, I, I had heard, I had gotten wind that there might be a protest and in fact, they allowed the governor to say what he had to say. We, our conversation went without incident for the first 40 to 45 minutes. And when Q&A came up, that's when the protest started. So in a way, it was, we're going to listen, but now it's our turn. Other people in the audience felt that they were denied the chance to speak. And, and the governor told me uh, when he left that democracy is messy. And the reality is that, that yes, if we would have said, well, let's let's you know take these people out of the room. We don't want them in here. Then we're suddenly being uncivil. We're being those people who uh, are not allowing the voices of people to be heard because there's a lot of truth in that. You know, the, the, the golden rule um, example that whoever has the gold makes the rules. In so many ways, that's true. But we create system and structures for a reason. That's why, you know, framing is so important uh, when it comes to a conversation. You can say, I want to talk about racism. But if you do it without context, without people in the room who will really be understanding, and you know, in, in, in my case, not being African American, I believe it's my responsibility to listen more to people who are African American than who are not because of the history of this country. And I think that part of that civility is saying we are going to rise because because the, the reality is those people in power also have those platforms where they want to invite people in. And it's healthy for society to disagree and to be tense at times. Um, the whole uh, impeach, and I won't use the word out, but impeach the, the MF word by the congresswoman, uh, I think it's it's a fun statement, but it's ultimately very destructive because then she becomes uh, a, a uh, foil to the president, much like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in some ways has become. And they're bringing up many good points about a lot of things because in uh, Congresswoman Tlaib's um, initial statement was, you know, the bullies don't win. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we're at a time where we're seeing tremendous amounts of bullying from the president. You know, we, the, the president uh, is often deceitful and he often um, bullies to get his way. Uh, and, and that's not healthy. The question is, mudslinging for the sake of mudslinging, does that work? Especially in our system where we have a president who's very powerful. How do you sway that? There has to be a more productive way. And part of that is the election cycle. The very fact now that the House of Representatives has, is controlled by Democrats is a huge check. Going back to the Black Lives Matter protest at the Governor Haslam Forum that you moderated, as I remember, as I watched the stream, it appeared that they were just repeating the same chant over and over, right? Yes. 
did you consider that an uncivil uh, behavior? If it was uncivil, was it justified? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, protest is freedom of speech, and, and I've written about protest before, and, and it's it's very healthy. Uh, the question is, what is the ultimate outcome? So one could one could argue it either way. So I'm not trying to mince, mince words or try to try to give you. I, I may be talking about it with my sides of my mouth, but on the one hand, I think it's very healthy to get that voice heard. The question is, what is the desired outcome? If the desired outcome was governor. We want you to give. We want you to grant Centoya Brown clemency today, and, and so that's where it gets really gray because because civility can be gray in those instances. You have two different civil acts. On the one hand, in conjunction with the public library, which is a center for uh, the public's uh, edification and education, mm-hmm. we have an opportunity to have a discussion with the most powerful politician in the state, and at the same time, people are saying we demand to be heard and we demand action today. Uh, the reality is that's not how our system works. And so if anything, I think one thing that I'm hoping to continue to do through civics education is help people understand how do you make government work. And sometimes well, – and they, know, But they understood that. I mean there's – I think the protesters probably understood that he couldn't uh, or at least logically wouldn't grant clemency right there during their event because they were yelling at him. My issue and why it seems pretty clearly like incivility, which I'll get to, I don't think is really necessarily bad, but they just kept shouting people down, didn't give other people a chance to ask questions, and they were heard. I mean, if you're repeating the same thing over and over and over, you were heard. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Haslam was like, I hear you. <laughs> you know, like, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to take time to review the case. And they just wouldn't let it go. Did you think at some point it became uncivil or? Yeah, I mean, I mean, from that vantage point, I think you explained it better even than I did, which is, yeah, from that standpoint, it, it, it did become uncivil. And, and again, uh, I think I'm glad that governor made the decision that he did. Uh, and one of the things that was top of mind for us there during the event was we want to make sure that people get their say. We want to make sure that people, nobody gets arrested. Mm-hmm. And it is unfortunate that other people's voices uh, were not heard who really wanted to speak. Um, and But sometimes you can correct it through the different ways. We had a gentleman uh, named uh, Bob Picard who wrote an op-ed talking about his disappointment at, uh, at not being able to be heard. Uh, and uh, you know he got some criticism from folks who said, "Well, you're, you're you're white, you're privileged," but he still had a right to you know have his voice heard. And <laughs> of he, course, and he yeah. used um, and he used another venue, which was the Tennessee and op-ed pages. If we kind of have agreed that certain protests, of course, are uncivil uh, in terms of not being totally polite and courteous in behavior and speech, and totally respectful of other people's time, whatever, protesters have an agenda, and that's fine. Is there a place for that? Is there a place for incivility? You've made the case for uh, civility. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, certainly I think there's there's definitely a case for it. There's a case to be heard. We have a right to petition our government and, mm-hmm. and a right to show our grievances. Um, I think I, I, I often remember an op-ed that was written by Sabi Kumar, who's a state representative from Springfield, who talked about when you protest, protest about the things that we can have some say and control about. Mm Because he would often encounter protesters at Capitol Hill who would want to talk about federal issues, something that he had no power to affect. Whereas if you talk about um, 
state issues. Uh, you know, one thing I encourage people to do is, you know, if you're going to protest a bill, research that bill, understand what's in it, find out who's the sponsor there, the co-sponsor, and start doing the advocacy work to build that relationship to make things move. I think that there are, um, you know, we, we can look at the issue with um, the bathroom bill uh, that, uh, that came out. One could say the bathroom bill that would have prohibited transgender people from going into um, the bathroom of, of, of their choice of, the, of their gender, that that was an uncivil act by the state legislature. I certainly argue that that's the yeah, case. I was just about to ask you, um, if you if you think political stances themselves can be uncivil. Oh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and in many ways, because what that particular bill, in my opinion, does, it, it, it goes against the dignity of a, of a human being. You know, this is not one of those things where I'm going to regulate a gas tax. I'm going to raise the gas tax and build roads. This is, I'm going to demean you uh, mm-hmm. Because I don't like who you are, for whatever reason it could be. You know, maybe it's religious reasons, maybe it's for other reasons. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that that I gain a lot of, um, and, and this is when it goes to your incivility argument. If we look at the Tennessee state constitution, in many ways, if you look at Article One, Section One in the Article of Rights, it actually has a call for potential incivility. It allows citizens to abolish the government of Tennessee. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful document, um, and it, to me, even more beautifully written than the U.S. Constitution, uh, and much more expansive in ter- terms of the rights that it gives its people, and and it certainly gives permission for incivility. Uh, obviously, we don't need that permission, but you know, you know, the the reason I think, in my mind, why civility is important is because we collectively, what I observed, especially on social media, we were destroying each other, and that's just not healthy for a society because. Restraint is hard, and I will tell you for my, myself. You know, I have changed my own social media habits. You know, I avoid uh, Twitter feuds only because I've decided that I will have conversations with folks, but to fight just to fight makes no sense to me um, because it's easy to get involved in that that rabbit hole, so to speak, where uh, you're constantly trying to make the best point, maybe get the best gif out there. You know, what's going to represent my viewpoint at this time that I'm going to humiliate you? And I realize I have other things I need to be doing. And the goal isn't. Always to win. Yeah. You know, you feel like you win a debate, and did you really win? Exactly. Exactly. One of the interesting cases a few weeks ago uh, about that civility and civility debate was Kid Rock. You know, if you take a look at the, you know, he was set set to be the Grand Marshal of the National Christmas Parade and December 1st, and he called Joy Behar of the co-host of The View, the B word. Uh, You certainly are free to say it on your show, but... uh, (laughs) I, I wrote a, a column afterwards saying, you know, he shouldn't be the grand marshal. And I got a lot of people. I, it was probably the most slammed I ever was on social media by saying, I mean, some of it was really ugly, but some of it was, you know, you're the language police and, you know, and, and, and leave Kid Rock alone. is like, remember those Britney's leave Britney alone? It was like leave yeah, Kid yeah. Rock alone type of stuff. And, uh, and you don't understand. And it was just this, the invective was, was awful. And um, it didn't move my position. And in fact, in many ways, it, it perhaps caused me to dig in. And maybe sometimes that's the bad part of having these constant ad hominem attacks. But uh, but clearly to me, it was, you know, this is a Christmas parade that should be uncontroversial, right? Plus, it was an interesting message because before calling her that name, he said, we should all love each other. And then- Yeah. The that, rest that, of what he a, said was great. I think so. I think he needed to stop right there. <laughs> yeah. That's um, frequently the problem, right? Well, and imagine if Congresswoman uh, Tlaib would have said, you know, impeach- the president or impeach 
that person, impeach that man, you know, what kind of impact would it have had? Obviously, it got so much attention. Yeah. But then that word, you know, you think when I think about that word, I think about Samuel L. Jackson. You know, he right. knows how to say that word, but he's not a, your congresswoman. Not your congresswoman, but he's an action star. And the question is, what kind of rhetoric too are we modeling for other people and other citizens? Uh, you know, certainly we could turn into all, all turn into mudslingers, but what does that make us? My only issue with your stance on the Kid Rock issue with the Christmas parade. And David Bradley coming out at the 11 and a half hour um, against it was we had known that he was going to be the grand marshal for, I don't know, months. Mm -hmm. And I remember Councilman Elrod, back when it was announced, came out against it and uh, some other folks did. But if people have particular requirements for a grand marshal, which I don't care at all about, what took you so long Mm -hmm. to realize that Kid Rock is – someone who doesn't really care much about political correctness and says what he thinks, often coarsely. Why, why the day yeah. before? You, you know, it's, well, the day before is because he said it the day before. Uh, that was that was the well, main yeah, reason for the reaction. Well, yeah, but he said all sorts of other Well, that's things, true. Yeah. I mean, and he's always been – and to me, what I wrote in my column was that this, this kind of language is, is not surprising. You know, this is – we expect this from him. But at the same time, this has kind of elevated the stakes in that way. And I get it. You know, one could have commented months ago, months ago um, you know, it's a parade. You know, he's going to be on his best behavior, et cetera, et cetera. That's wishful thinking. In this case, though, it sent this hard message. You know, I'm in your town. He was at his honky-tonk at the time. And I'm going to say this thing that's extremely offensive. Uh, and what was interesting is to hear people say, especially more conservative women say, well, I'm not offended by it. I'm like, okay, you know, and, and I get that. You know, one could easily say the same thing about Congressman Tlaiba. You know, I'm not offended by what she said because it's all about context. Because the main pushback was interesting. It was, well, she is one about Joy Behar. Uh, or, <laughs> that was the main pushback. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm like, you know, I don't watch The View. I, I, um, yeah, I have no I, idea. I, I really can't, can't tell you that. But, but I, what I can say is that, you know, were, was I being overly sensitive? Perhaps it was reacting to the moment. It was, you know, t- about 24 hours before the actual parade. And, uh, and maybe that was a wake-up call. And, and every time I, I always think about, you know, what columns could I have written better, perhaps with more thought? Uh, and, and maybe that's one that eventually I'll be looking at and saying, you know, that was a bit too much of a knee-jerk reaction. I, I will tell you that there is one that I do, um, you know, sometimes look back on with some regret, and it came right after President Trump's election. Okay. And I was at the gallery uh, at the State House of Representatives seeing the electors cast their electoral votes for the 11 electoral votes for, for President Trump. A chairperson got up and said, you know, we have done the will of the people. And a protester yelled, you know, you know, it's not the will of the people, you know, referring obviously to the popular vote win from from Hillary Clinton. Sure. And I'd written a column probably too soon talking about because it was probably emotions were a little bit raw uh, about the fact that, you know, they're they're neither right nor they're wrong. Uh, and maybe we should think about what the Electoral College's future is, because if, if it's not representing you know, the will. And, and the reason I think about it differently today is it was an emotional column. And I think what I would have said with a few more days would have been, this is our system, and we may not like it, and I don't like the result, but we accept the result of elections. It doesn't mean we have to light the actions of the people who are serving, and we have a right to protest those. We have a right to complain, and we have a right to elect those people out of office. Uh, and uh, so that's that's probably what I would have done. And so you know, think about thinking about moments of incivility. I've had many of those, you know. And uh, but I think it's a constant work in progress where what we're trying to do is promote respect toward other people 
uh, and, uh, and, and to promote the notion that if you mess up, which we'll all inevitably do, you know, to learn from it, to apologize, and to try to move on the best way you can. And I was out in a rural community in Tennessee uh, last year, and uh, the first question I got, and uh, we're here, we're all eating, you know, fried chicken and cherry pie, and it's nice. And he gets up and raises his hand and says, why should I trust you? Because of your fake news, presumably? Yeah, but he let me answer. Mm. And by letting me answer, he finally said, oh, I didn't know that you did that. Mm. And I was like, this is an opportunity. This is what we're missing. You know, it's easy to go on Twitter and say, you know, uh, you know, the equivalent of it. And, and I apologize to your listeners. You suck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what if you were to say, essentially, why aren't we connecting here? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do? In-person uh, connections, in my experience, have been far more effective. But even where you have a chance to take a look at somebody's face, somebody's eyes, that's why the, the live videos have been, I think, so important to us. I'm wondering if, in part, the incivility that we see may be more present now. Is this because we see more political interactions happening on social media? Uh, and maybe before people were just keeping them to themselves. And I think about the old etiquette rule to never discuss politics or a religion in a polite company. And that can kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy because if people never practice talking about religion or talking about politics, well, when they do, they will have never had any practice about engaging in those discussions in a productive and respectful way. Yeah, and you know, one thing that's, that's lost on social media is tone. You don't know sometimes whether someone is kidding or whether someone is being belligerent. Um, yeah. And so and the other thing, too, is that after 2016, I made a decision not to unfriend anybody on Facebook. Because I said I want to understand how people are reacting with each other. Maybe it was my own social experience to be able, social experiment to be able to deal with the the Trump election. Mm-hmm. But what I found is when people would get at each other, you know, you have people calling snowflakes from the left and the right, right. <laughs> back and forth. But a lot of it was because people missed the point of what the discussion was about. Uh, and at the same time, I saw people who were proudly uh, eliminating anybody who didn't agree with them from their friends list, and would continue, very proudly, yeah. yeah, and would continue to talk about politics. And I'm thinking. Who are you talking to? Is it the goal of you know getting cheered by your own your own choir essentially? Yes. Which is, you know, for my for my end, it's what's 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 the the purpose? And I know people have it, and I've talked to people who've said, you know, I I can't deal with this reality. And we we even saw the New York Times do an article on a guy, I think he was from Ohio, if I remember, who didn't did, doesn't want to know anything about what's going on in the He's world. He's kept himself totally closed off for two and a half years, I guess. Yeah, because it, it meets it's, it shows. I mean, the world is hard. This is a, a harsh time. And, and I've been asked before, you know, is this the hardest we've ever had it? You know, when we're not, we yeah, don't no. have a civil war. You no. know, we're not in World <laughs> War II. Um, but it, it's, it's so visceral because we now have a way, we have a democratized way to reach people in power, to reach people who are willing to tell us things that sometimes we don't like in really nasty ways. Uh, and so if you're at the Thanksgiving table in person and, and your mom tells you, like, don't discuss your politics in front of Uncle Fred, you know, then, you know, there's someone who's checking on you saying, you know, you'll just, you know, th- throw a turkey leg at you if you decide to violate that rule. Where on social media, nobody's telling you to stop. And we, we look at our own um, uh, research on, on social media and commenting and initially anonymous commenting, which I've been uh, focused on commenting uh, issues since 2005. Some of the research that has come out shows that someone's innate personality comes out when they comment because there's nobody to tell them, don't do that. Don't post that. Uh, and at a time, we thought it was just about anonymous comments. And now, you know, because more things are far more transparent than they were before, um, doesn't matter. 
Nobody's <laughs> there still to tell you to, hey, maybe you should take a moment to stop. Uh, I'm glad you asked about a book recommendation because for me, one of the things I was able to do to cope in 2018 is I decided to read more and I decided to take up playing the guitar. And uh, I'm not any good yet, but it's one of those things that helps my mind process things. It has been so joyful. And I think too often times we get mired in just the negativity uh, and we need those escapes. You mentioned the unfriending, which brings me to a study from 2018, uh, social networking sites as political filtering. And some of the findings were pretty interesting. The study's authors found that liberals are more prone to unfriending others on social networking sites and that basically when conservatives encounter incivility, they're happier to respond with incivility of their own. Um, also said that young people are more likely to kind of, quote, hide and just not engage, and that educated people are more likely to unfriend. So very kind of interesting findings there. If you kind of boil that down with the civility campaign, that's kind of the point is not to unfriend, right, to not stop engaging. Well, yeah, and, and but I think it means different things because I think that – it is okay to disengage as part of a civility action because sometimes if, 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 if you're going to get into a fight, what can you do? You Not know, permanently, hopefully. Right. But. And the question is if your decision is, you know, do I choose Facebook over the hike at Edward Warner Park or Percy Warner Park? You know, I'm going to the choose Percy. Yeah, I'm going to choose that because yeah. – but that's me. And, and, and the question is, you know, what can we do to make our lives healthier? And part of it is to live in our real worlds, to – Take the time to have a meal with someone, and it can be so hard sometimes because the the you know it almost feels dystopian sometimes. But if we take a look, if we take a breath, and just take a look at what's happening, what legislation has been passed and what hasn't been passed, things are moving a lot slower. The president is not as powerful yes. as he thinks he is, but he loves telling that narrative. And we sometimes have to just say, look, you know, let's just take a moment. And, and, and look at everything all together and say, you know, and, and I encourage people, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do with Civility Tennessee is get people more engaged in their own local communities mm-hmm. because you have far more power. Uh, you know, your council, council member is so much more accessible, your state lawmaker, you know, and uh, on Tuesday, the state legislative session, the General Assembly gets back into session. And that's going to be an opportunity for people to say, you know, what are our priorities now into the future? We've made a decision on where we want the state to go. Bill Lee has been elected governor. There's a supermajority con- uh, uh, Republican uh, uh, leaders there in the House and Senate. But that doesn't mean that everything is going to be monolithic. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. And citizens right now is a perfect time to get involved. I absolutely agree. In terms of how incivility can be productive, brings me to another study from December 2018 entitled Brevity is the Soul of Twitter. And the study's authors uh, looked at the change on Twitter when Twitter doubled the character limit and super interesting findings. They found that doubling the character limit uh, increased civility. It led to more polite, less informal, and more analytical political uh, discussions on Twitter, which I think is kind of intuitive, but an interesting finding. Um, But political discussions were less substantive post the change. So then they talked about this debate between political deliberation scholars that incivility in political deliberation may not necessarily be a negative quality and that uh, political messages with incivility are often considered more entertaining, mm-hmm. more persuasive, more memorable, and more authentic than a polite, well-formed argument. 
uh, and they found perhaps signaling sincerity and the speaker's high stakes in the disagreement. Mm -hmm. So is there a place, we've kind of talked about how there's a place for a certain level of incivility in protest, and that's very important. Uh, going back to the Black Lives Matter protest, perhaps as an example, uh, is incivility sometimes productive on social media? I, I think sometimes incivility is um, something people feel forced to do because of their status as being marginalized or being out of power. And, and I get it. And I think one of the things that civility offers is uh, and, and, and obligates, in a sense, the powerful quote unquote, is to basically create a better platform. You know, with that, that quote of with great power comes great responsibility to create those opportunities for people to be heard. If you look at the issue of Insure Tennessee and healthcare reform, some people felt that they had no no voice. You know, a few years ago, a uh, senator called a constituent an a-hole, you know, uh, on the halls of the legislature. I understand then that person feels like, well, my leaders aren't listening to me if that's what they have. And it actually prompted us to write a Part of me to write a, an editorial saying that 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 was pretty terrible. Uh, that 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 was the the ultimate showing of incivility. And I think there's a responsibility for our leaders to showcase and to model that civility. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, or otherwise they just engender more incivility from their own citizens. Uh, there was an interesting uh, protest that I saw that I thought uh, was really instructive, and it was a group of folks. I don't remember who was organizing the protest, but they marched from Capitol Hill to um, around Fifth and Broadway, you know, right by Bridgestone Arena. Uh, and they sat, they did a sit-in right in the middle of the road, stopped traffic, and they were uh, protesting in favor of an increase in the minimum wage. They wanted a minimum wage to go up to $15. And I think in Tennessee, it's about seven twenty-five or so. Yeah, correct. Um, and uh, what I saw were protesters who were, they were sure that they were doing the right thing. They were making the statement. And what I saw around them were drivers and observers who were angry. Mm -hmm. They were angry for two reasons. Number one, they couldn't get past them. Mm -hmm. And number two, they felt that police were being constrained and talking about the whole notion of, you know, what role does police have in society? That's another thing altogether when we talk about the issues of civility. So, so this, this is where it's complicated because yeah, I could say, is civility black or white? It's very complicated because we're constantly in this motion of saying, yes, if I have power, I have the right to be civil. I've had some friends who will often tell me that we need a place for obscenity. Because sometimes there are th some things that are so awful that you can't just pretend that it didn't happen. I want to kind of switch gears and talk about the endorsement process mm -hmm. of the Tennessean. Uh, there was no endorsement in the presidential election in 16. There was no endorsement for Nashville mayor in 2018. And there was no endorsement for the two most contested races for Senate and governor that we've had in a long time. Researching the endorsement process of the Tennessean, I found a quote from, I guess, someone else on the editorial board that said, your role is to help readers understand key issues. This does not mean that we've stopped doing endorsements. Rather, we are focused on races where we believe our opinion adds the greatest value. Kind of highlighted there, we have president, mayor, governor, and senate, the four most important races that a voter in Nashville votes on. What's the process for deciding when the Tennessean editorial board's opinion will add the greatest value? Because, of course, you did make an endorsement for transit mm -hmm. among this slew of non-endorsements. So how do you decide? 
Yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's subjective in many ways. But at the same time, we thought, what is the value that we have? Because the opinion pages of the 1990s is not the opinion pages of 2018 or 2019. Right. Uh, you know, we really have to think about what what is our role, you know, and what value do we add, especially the readership that is becoming more and more digital. You know, it's not the same readership, the print readership of the past, where you can say, you know, what's on the opinion pages? I saw a stat, in fact, that social media has overtaken print uh, newspaper I think 20% of people go to social media now for their primary news source, and only 16 go to newspaper, and that's an aging 16. So it's very interesting. And I believe, and what's the interesting thing with social media is that that news happens to be us, not just the Tennessean, but local news or other news organizations. Uh, And that's one of the complicated things is that it's hard to get your brand known. what we found, the opinion stuff that works where we have been very bold about making opinions is, you know, we wanted the last mayor to resign uh, because of that scandal. You know, yeah. we um, talked about transit. So you got a lot of flack for that too. We we, we did, uh, but we also got a lot of praise too. And yeah. I was sure that everybody was going to hate me that day that it came out. And, and I didn't take it lightly because we endorsed uh, Mayor Barry. Right. Uh, you know, I, I advocated for Mayor Barry. Um, and um, – the transit debate was one where we actually met with multiple groups, started doing some research. And I've been involved in the transit uh, study issues for, for about three years since I came to Nashville. I was very familiar with the topic, and um, I was concerned about the plan itself that was on the ballot. But I felt um, after meeting with the editorial board and meeting with both pro and con groups that, you know, we have to move this conversation forward. We need that dedicated funding and go from there. And obviously, most people disagreed vehemently, right. about two-thirds. And I would tell you is that when you write an opinion, sometimes it's not to win over the public support. Sometimes it's to make a point. And some people can fire back and say, well, you should have endorsed anyway. Um, I look back at uh, the, the Mayor Briley special election where there were 13 candidates. And I think back, was that the right decision? Wasn't it? You know, there was the thought that maybe it might go into a special election uh, or a runoff election, pardon me. And, uh, and that then we would say, but one of the things that uh, – that I was concerned about was the issue and that other editorial board members were concerned about was the issue of are we being representative of our city? By just saying by a business council naming the mayor as, you know, he should stay, uh, is that the right thing to do or should people really weigh their other choices? It was a controversial way to put it and it was something that was unconventional, but we have had to become unconventional as we start thinking about opinion content. So I recently published a piece of the, the best read opinion uh, columns from the year. And one of them, aside from the mayor's uh, uh, resignation one, had to do with Centoya Brown, which we just talked about earlier in this conversation. And what has resonated so much more generally has been personal columns. So I found that I've had to develop my own personal voice uh, separate from the editorial board to talk about issues that I think are important, be it that, be it uh, advocating for a tax increase last summer uh, in Metro to pay for the uh, cost of living increases. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not always going to be right. I mean, Kid Rock, the Kid Rock supporters felt I was completely wrong. You know, it's one of those things that we're, we're, we're learning because we're, we're starting to think, what is the value that we offer? We have one of the biggest things that we learned from Civility Tennessee is that we have the power to convene uh, and we have the power to bring people together uh, whether it's through debates that we organized or through events. And we were able to show people that we were willing to listen to the ideas of uh, Marshall Blackburn, now the senator, Phil Bredesen, uh, of, uh, uh, Governor-elect Bill Lee, uh, and, uh, and Carl Dean, and, and have that platform where people could understand that. And we would ask questions on behalf of ourselves and also of our readership to get to, are you qualified to run? Now, 
uh, as we evaluate what we're going to do in 2019, uh, this year for the mayors and council races, we're, we're starting to really think about what, what matters the most. In my mind, where my thinking is, is very preliminary, so it may not end up being the final product, but I'm sharing it with you and, and yeah. your listeners. I, I would love to be able to tell readers how your members of council compare when it came to key votes, be it on uh, uh, TIF financing or uh, Amazon or the soccer stadium or uh, short-term rentals, you know, those kinds of things. How do we essentially and, and how do we essentially create this? Because it's, it's hard, you know, with, with 40 council seats, it's really hard to get in-depth into any single one of those races. But what if you could really start looking at where do they stand on those particular issues? One of my big concerns right now, especially when we were looking at the special election for mayor, was we're at a point where people are feeling mistrustful and distrustful of, of government. Uh, and, and it used to be that you only thought about it in the federal government context. You know, Congress has this historically very low public approval rating. When I came here in 2014 and, and was here during the 2015 election, my sense was and my research was people were – they were joyous about the possibilities for where the city was going. And the city is still booming. The question is why isn't you know, uh, you know, Metro keeping up in that way? And, and obviously one can – debate that back and forth. Um, uh, but the whole notion, the biggest issue that I hear about and the biggest issue that concerns me is that whole notion of income inequality. And we are booming. We're definitely booming for those who are in power, who can afford it. Going back to your civility argument, if I suddenly am able to afford to live on Church Street uh, and suddenly Amazon comes and I realize that I cannot live anywhere near the city, I have no choice but to feel uncivil. I have no choice but to protest and hope that I'm heard. Uh, but then there has to be that next step. You've made your point. What can you do to work with those in power to make sure that there's a place for you? Uh, and, and that's a hard one. Uh, I, was, I was at the homeless um, memorial uh, back in December just a few weeks ago, and we talk a lot about you know wanting to help and wanting to alleviate this issue. And there are some steps that have been taken. There are obviously some positive action. But the question is, is it, is it you know we're still seeing a growing homeless problem? Going back to the kind of thought process for when you endorse and when you don't endorse, because I think you've taken a lot of heat. If if choosing not to endorse in high-profile races is a distinct choice from the civility campaign, it's at least an unfortunate timing because I think a lot of readers and people you hear on Twitter and friends have taken the two happening at pretty much the same time and have presumed, well – we're using civility as an excuse for kind of not taking on the tough stances and not making endorsements that could be unpopular. Mm -hmm. No, and, and that, that's a fair criticism. Uh, now they are they are separate for sure. Right. Um, but the um, the aspect of endorsement uh, when the presidential endorsement came out, uh, typically the way that an editorial board, uh, in my experience, would run is that you try to come to consensus. And I can tell you, the editorial board did not come to consensus on any candidate that mm -hmm. year. And uh, which is why we uh, talked about the system. You know, I know people gave us a lot of grief for endorsing the system, but the reality is when you have candidates saying the system is rigged, the system is not here, we want to disrupt the system, you need to be for your system. I mean, this is, this is it sounds basic, but um, uh, with regard to 2018, we're certainly learning from, you know, what are some of the best approaches? Again, going to how do we serve our readership best? You know, we, we as a newspaper industry can't do the things that we were doing 20 years ago. We have to do them differently, more innovatively in ways that, um, uh, that, will, some, that will often take hard stances. The endorsement, I, I'm looking at what the future of that is, and, and, and I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I don't have a crystal ball on that because I know 
that sometimes there's the perception that you'll be dinged financially, and that has happened in the past, you know, for other publications, you know, that there's a fear of uh, of missing out, a fear of losing out. I think my conversations uh, have been more about, um, you know, how, what how do we serve our reader best? And I do get frustrated. I think sometimes I'm one member of the editorial board, and certainly I'd love for us to come back and say, you know, we this is our, our person. But I had a really good breakfast recently with someone who's been in news for a long time who talked about, you know, do you really want to be associated with being partisan anymore? Uh, you know, the Tennessean has a long history of being democratically aligned, and that was broken in 2012 when the editorial board endorsed Mitt Romney, and then in 2016 endorsing nobody. Um, you know, I would prefer not to be a partisan paper. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't endorse. Um, so I'm giving you kind of this whole, you know, wrapping because there's still things that we're trying to figure out. You know, yeah. what 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 does what does this mean anymore? You know, if you think about at a time in the, in the 1990s where newspapers were making money hand over fist, and the advertising model was different. There was no Craigslist. There was no different ways of distribution and different you know ways of people receiving, wanting to receive it. You know, it made sense to have you know a tradition that worked when it worked. Um, you know, we're in disruptive times and we, we're, we're figuring it out. Uh, we have, you know, I can point to numerous instances, as I mentioned, with uh, the, the, the mayor's scandal with regard to transit, where we have taken those stances. Uh, and, uh, and we deserve our licks when we, when we uh, disappoint our readers. And so I think that uh, that's what we're going to be thinking very carefully. What is the right thing to do next year? You know, as, as we as we figure that out, and this is something that's not, you know, not, we haven't been given a directive from on high to say, you know, you have to do this. That's not the case. We, in fact, are trying to really uh, make opinion even more relevant. You know, it, it has historically been a very print-oriented type of thing. We've noticed when when you write sharply, you can you know, you can essentially draw. You know, people will will accuse us of saying, well, you just want to clickbait it. No, we don't. We we yeah. want to do quality journalism. And, and one example I'll give is um, I did a series in 2017 on affordable housing called "The Cost of Growth and Change," and the whole purpose was to draw attention and and get people. That was a great away. series. Thank you. Thank really you. Get, was. get them woken up to the fact that this inequality is leaving you behind, mm-hmm. and you need to be aware. You need to understand why it's doing that, how it's happening, and. Um, and I throw that out there because sometimes you're more effective when you explain, ask questions, and answer people's questions than just saying, you need to vote for so-and-so because that's what I told you to do. Now, I know that's not how it works. I know people – That's I, true. I, I, I had a, a, a caller, a very reasonable caller who said, I, I want you to endorse not because I want to agree with you because sometimes I'm not going to because I know I know that you've taken a stance on, on this candidate or this issue. Uh, and we continue to wrestle with that. You know, this is this is a tough thing because it, it's one of those things of our credibility lies in our ability to, first of all, not be seen as so-called fake news. You know, we had mentioned that, but it's mm-hmm. a real thing. You know, there's some people who have such such big trust issues that our goal first and foremost is to be credible, is to be accurate, to be fair, and on the opinion side, to offer perspective that also gives you people the opportunity to respond. One idea, this is just an idea, but as we move forward... What I, as a reader, would probably appreciate is that when the editorial board is not at consensus, that you've been you've mentioned how you've written a lot of pieces just personally. David Plaza's sharing opinions, and that does better. Mm-hmm. Um, you generate more, you know, reads, and it's taken more seriously. It would be interesting to have a perspective from multiple people on the editorial board, just kind of, hey, here's why we weren't at a consensus. Here's so and so for Trump, so and so for Hillary. 
and put a name and a face to it. That could be very interesting. Now, that, that's and you a, avoid the like, oh, we don't want to weigh in. We don't want to touch conflict uh, notion that people, you know, arrive at. That's a really good idea. It's a really good point. And, and I'll bring that to the editorial board. I, mean, I, I see a lot of uh, – I was reading yesterday uh, in the New York Times about this case of, of women – um, a growing number of, of women in West Africa who are asking for divorce from their husbands. And aside from hmm. the story, which was fascinating and so well written, there was an insider's, this is how I wrote the story. This is how I got my sources. So kind of, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit. And, I, you know, yeah. and that's not a bad thing. The closest we got to that during the 2015 mayoral election was we laid out the questions in, in, our, in our grading, our, our scoring grid. Mm -hmm. uh, we we uh, had a link to that in, in our article to explain to people this was our thinking. Um, this is how we got to uh, Meganberry. It's not fake news. There's, right. You know, there's no decision made beforehand. Uh, so looking forward to year two of the civility campaign, just kind of a note to end on. What can people expect to see? I know you mentioned maybe fewer events, but how can people engage? Sure. People can go to civility.tennessean.com uh, where we have all our material. And we also encourage people to join the closed Facebook group. We close it by design and we ask people three questions, three very basic questions that we just ask for a simple yes. The essence of it is will you be civil and will you call out incivility? And thankfully, we've only had to kick out one person in the entire year because people are willing to have those conversations even when it gets uncomfortable. So it's become kind of a laboratory to understand how can we push each other a little bit discuss issues and not try to kill each other. And one of my favorite things about- um, What if you slowly let in the uncivil <laughs> masses? Well, I, you know, we, we want people there who want to be there. Right, so right. That's, that's, that's the main thing. What year two is, you know, we're, we definitely want to have at least one kind of event of some kind a quarter. Uh, we always look for ideas. You know, my email address is dplazas at tennessean.com, and I invite uh, people there. I'm working with a couple of groups right now to put on uh, a workshop related to bringing p different civility groups together. There are, there are multiple civility groups right now that are working on, okay, we, we've been doing this for a few years now. What's our next step? How do we take this to the next level? And one of the issues, you know, going to your study about uh, liberals and conservatives, for example, there's a, a certain groups that find that they're able to find uh, liberal uh, defining people, so-called blues, uh, who are willing to engage in these conversations, but not as many reds um, in a physical space because of what that, because of the discomfort that that may bring, and and so that's another avenue. Uh, I'd mentioned uh, the book Them by Senator Ben Sass. Uh, I'm working right now with librarian uh, Amanda Smithfield at uh, Hume Fogg High School to see if we can put together some kind of activity. And, and she's going to be using it in her classes, but my um, hope is by the end of the spring semester there to create some kind of book activity where we can get people discussing uh, in a way. Because for me, literacy, I think, is really the, 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 the one of the best ways to really engender and promote uh, civility. And it's a book that can be a hard read. Um, and but it's 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 a really good read though. I'm working with uh, Nashville TEDx on a couple of things. Uh, uh, Part of me TEDx Nashville, and uh, so we'll have more to come in the next few weeks. Uh, but uh, I appreciate being on this on this uh, program. It's, it's I, I promoted it last year because it's one of my favorite podcasts. So so thank you for doing it, uh, and, uh, and you know get to know your city. Uh, this is one of the best ways to do so. Totally agree. Well, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast, and look forward to seeing uh, Civility Tennessee in year two. Thank you. Views that I express on this podcast and on my social media accounts are mine alone and do not reflect the views of the metropolitan government of Nashville and Davidson County.